Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hi, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We are broadcasting across the world from Sydney Harbour in Sydney, Australia, where the weather's absolutely beautiful. The harbour's magnificent. The only problem is that I got here a couple of days ago, had back-to-back meetings since I've got here, and uh, off to Queensland tomorrow to see a couple more clients, and then off to Bangkok um, to see two clients, and then uh, back to Sydney for a day or so, and then back to LA. So it's been a, a busy few days. Now, last week, we discussed the things that you need to have in place before you try to fundraise. We talked about the elevator pitch, pitch deck, executive summary, business plan, website. Uh, what else? We talked about the financial documents, which include you know revenue projections, operational expenses, cash flow, etc. And uh, once you've got all that in place, this week, we have some great advice for first-time founders. Now, Alastair Crane sold his first business in London, mobile apps agency Grapple, for close to $50 million when he was just 27 years old. Now, after three years in San Francisco, CEO at a new retail technology startup, Hero, in London, Crane and Heroes founder Adam Levine had very sound advice for first-time founders looking to build a business. I'd like to run through some of these for you. He found Actually, he found uh, Silicon Valley pretty hectic, and that's why he moved back to London. So, um, But the boy's doing well. Firstly, don't raise too much money. If you raise too much money early, you immediately have to build a major business because investors want a return. So the more money you raise up front, firstly, the more company you're giving away for um, peanuts, if you like, and you've got investors immediately chasing you for a return on their money. So raising too much money can put huge pressure on you to grow the business fast. And when you're just starting out, you only need to prove that what you're doing is viable. You don't want to be put under all that pressure straight off the bat. You need to solve some problems. You know, you'll get lots of your problems. You may have to pivot a little bit. Um, and you, you've got to prove that what you're doing is working. And you don't need a lot of money to do that. But at that point, you've got to think carefully about how you then scale up. So you need to ramp costs as little as possible, obviously. But VCs want fast growth, which does elevate the costs more quickly than you expect. So firstly, do not raise too much money. Secondly, make sure that the people you raise it from are the right people. You know, um, if you're not experienced out there in the real world of VCs, um, it's like swimming in a shark tank. I mean, they are out to bite off every bit of everything that they can bite and chew. And uh, if you're not very careful, the VCs end up with everything and you end up with nothing or very close to it. 
So you want to get investors who understand that you're trying to keep as much equity as you can for the founders and trying to manage things to a budget. You want an investor who wants you to do big things rather than small things that are ticking over money and will keep supporting you through that effort. So somebody who believes in your vision. Thirdly, you need to engage people you know and people that that know you and trust you. If you've got somebody you don't know and is not used to your ways, you've got six months of getting to know them before you can have a tight team. And you don't have six months. That's the reality. You've got to start off the blocks straight away. And if you can find great experienced people you've worked with previously, it allows you to develop much more quickly. And in technology, it's all about pace. You know, I know that... um, I've got some quirks, (laughs) some idiosyncrasies. I'm not the easiest person in the world to get along with. So if you want to come into a business with me, then, you know, you've probably got a bit of learning to do. And uh, so you need to have those people on board that understand you straight off the bat. Number four, you should partner up with a bigger player to help supercharge growth. Now, whether it's investors or partners, Think big early. It pushes you to go further and allows you to amplify what you're doing. Find a partner that's looking for innovation and this enables you to scale quicker. You know, and it's good to have the grunt of an experienced company and a bigger company to help drive you. So you have to find ingredients that really add value or find that route to go bigger more quickly. Otherwise, you're just going to get lost in a sea of innovation. My phone is ringing. I apologize for that. I'll give up in a minute. So fifth, don't be afraid to charge for your product. You know, clients only value what they pay for. So ask a fair price. It's not about getting the best margin in year one. That will come with time. It's about getting people who are prepared to pay for something that you have because they value it and see a future in it. So don't try to rip off more money than you need to initially. So, you know, really, really charge what you think is fair value for what you have. And sometimes that's hard to do. A lot of people undervalue their um, their product. I know when you know, with my speaking fees, um, I think I was at about seven and a half thousand. And uh, my manager at the time said to me, "Put your fee up to 15. And I said, "You've got to be kidding! You know, at fifteen thousand, I won't get a job." Well, it was about valuing yourself correctly because um, I found that when I went from seven and a half to fifteen, I actually got more work. So I got more work twice the money, and so, you know, put a fair value on yourself, but um, don't undersell. So this will help you develop a business and monetization strategy, something that's critical, but it's not always a top priority for tech startups. It'll also help you when dealing with investors and the board of directors. It also gives you statistics to take back to your board, show them how you've performed. 
This is where you want to grow and where you want to go now, what you want to do immediately, and this is the money that you need to get there. It enables you to paint that big picture so that your investor understands and will go along with you. And one last thing for founders to keep in mind. If you're sitting there, you're founder of a new company, and uh, everything seems to be beautifully under control, you're just not going fast enough. You know, things are not supposed to be under control when you're in that developing mood. You're really pushing. You want to get things out the door fast. You want to get that innovation happening. You don't want everything to be under control. So if everything seems under control, you're not going hard or fast enough. Hey, stop what you're doing. Listen up. This is a very important message for every business. If you want to stop leaving money on the table, and we were just talking about pricing yourself, you know, you've got to price yourself right. The difference between getting $10 for an item and getting $11.20 for an item could be 100% improvement on your margin. Could be. Might only be 25%. But whatever it is, it'll make one hell of a big difference to how much profit you make. Now, Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A dot com, is a company that specializes in pricing your product right. Now, they'll tell you, if you're selling at $10, they'll tell you it's worth $11.27. But don't go to $11.35 because you'll lose business. But at $11.27, you will be able to maintain your business and you'll be able to make a buck and a quarter extra. So if you want to stop leaving money on the table, go to atenga.com, A-T-E-N-G-A.com, and download a free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increasing Prices. It's a quick read, good read, and very educational. You'll learn a hell of a lot, and it may be the most profitable thing that you've done all day. Now, a good friend of mine, Per Sofas, um, runs the company, and uh, he has helped hundreds of Fortune 500 companies to set their prices correctly and make more profit. And it's not expensive. If you hire a tenger to set your prices, within four weeks, you have recouped that investment. And for the next 48 weeks, you're making a much bigger profit. So go to Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A dot com now. Uh, do you get my 30-second read daily business newsletter? Um we now have about 1.7 million daily subscribers. It goes out to, I think, 65 or 68 countries. Um, I'd love to tell you what today's is about, but I can't recall. We sent it out about 2 o'clock this morning. Um, but um, the next – I wrote the next six newsletters yesterday, and uh, they're all good. <laughs> even if I do say so myself, and they're very diverse. So you should read it each day. So go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read on most days. Some days, if it's a really important subject, then it might take a minute and a half, but it will keep you up to date with all the business news that's important. You know, there's a lot of companies um, – that I know of, and I heard of another one this morning, that actually circulate 
where the CEO gets my newsletter and uh, the CEO circulates it to every member of staff. And there's a number of companies that do that. So make sure you get it. It'll keep you up to date with everything that's going on and uh, makes you much, much wiser and much more able to address the issues that are confronting us and that are coming down the pike. And if you know about them, the person who knows about them is the person who's prepared. We all know Tesla CEO Elon Musk, probably the cleverest little duck on the planet at the moment. And uh, this week, or last week really now, he revealed new details about his futuristic tunnel boring project during his TED talk. So Elon's uh, spent his career building companies with very ambitious goals, such as self-driving cars, human travel to Mars, environmental preservation, Hyperloop rapid transport, friendly artificial intelligence, and a whole bunch of stuff. He just keeps coming up with new ones. Now he's ready to bore tunnels under cities to relieve traffic congestion. Last week he took to Twitter to focus on traffic. But in his typical fashion, he offered a solution to the problem. And Musk's new technologies for moving people and freight are really taking shape. The Hyperloop concept is now becoming a reality. And if, for those of you who don't know, if there's anybody who doesn't know, Hyperloop's a mode of mass transportation that will propel capsules with people sitting in them through above-ground pneumatic tubes at 750-plus miles an hour. So you get from Los Angeles to San Francisco in 20 minutes or less. And cities around the world are signing contracts to build this concept, and it will really revolutionise travel. It's likely that the first one will be in um, the Emirates, going from Dubai to Abu Dhabi, which is... Anybody who's been there, it's about 120 miles along that freeway where there's speed cops every 100 yards. And it'll enable you to do that trip in you know, 10 minutes or something. But from last week, Musk's genius is focused on subterranean solutions. He's called it the boring company because, you know, it bores holes. Um, the boring company, his latest venture led by SpaceX engineer Steve Davis, is working on building a network of underground tunnels that will transport cars on an electric skate. The skate would propel cars through the tunnel at a maximum speed of 130 miles an hour, enough to get, if you know Los Angeles, enough to get from Westwood to Los Angeles, normally a 40-minute commute, in just five minutes under the ground, in your car. Now, Musk showed the very first visualisation of the project during his TED Talk, a car would pull into a metal container that will then transport it underground. An electric skate would then rocket the car through the tunnel. <laughs> I mean, it's futuristic, but it's, it looks really good. For those of you who complain you're busy, you know, I meet people all the time, they say, Jesus, we're busy, never been so busy. Musk is working on the boring company, Tesla's upcoming Model 3, the rollout of his brand-new solar roof, his artificial intelligence company, Neuralink, while still serving as CEO of SpaceX and Tesla and consulting on Hyperloop. <laughs> so that's busy. 
Musk is also among 18 tech executives who met with President-elect Trump as part of a strategic and policy forum. Musk's tunnel plan is in line with Trump's emphasis on infrastructure. And the president-elect's proposed $1 trillion of government infrastructure investment to boost the US economy. If Elon's history has any, is anything to go by, he is probably aiming to get a good slice of that. Incidentally, Musk just revised his Twitter bio and it now reads Tesla, SpaceX, tunnels and open artificial intelligence. Today's guest, good friend of mine, Jim DeBetter, whose product development and sales experience has amassed millions of dollars within the retail selling world. world. He knows how to take new ideas from a sketch on a napkin to selling the final product into major retailers worldwide. He has clients such as Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Costco, Bed Bath and Beyond, and on and on and on and on. And I will talk to Jim after this short break on the Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show, where now for over five years, we've been giving you insights into the lives of some 300 of the world's most interesting business people, what they do. And we try to find out what it is that makes them tick, what makes them different. You know, 95% of all businesses fail today. So those that succeed, what do they do that we don't do? You know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business and we all need all the help we can get. And that's why it's so important to listen to these interviews and hear the obstacles that um, our guests face and how they overcame them. And why it's so important for everybody in business out there to have a mentor or a series of mentors, people that have been there, done that in various aspects of business that can give you help and advice when you need it. Now, a mentor is not your younger brother or somebody that you've grown up with that's probably going to say, wow, that's a wonderful idea. It's somebody who'll say, you know, 
you're just missing the mark. You need to do this. Have you, have you thought about that? You know, somebody who will really help you stay on track. Now, everybody in business faces the same challenges. It doesn't matter whether you're opening a dry cleaning store or whether you've developed a new app. You begin with a dream, you persevere, you commit yourself, and you overcome obstacles. And uh, the fact that so many businesses fail is testament to the fact that taking that great business idea or your new invention to the market is extremely difficult. It's one thing to invent a widget that's perfect. It's another thing to get any bastard to buy it. And uh, most entrepreneurs try to do most things on their own because they've got a lack of contacts, they've got a lack of funds, they don't have a big network, they've got a lack of resources. But research shows that most entrepreneurs who try that approach fail. And our guest today takes those budding entrepreneurs from idea to having a product in the market. Today's guest is Jim DeBetter, whose product development and sales experience has amassed millions of dollars within the retail selling world. He can take an idea from a sketch on a napkin to creating the final product and then selling it to retailers worldwide. In fact, Jim and I are working on a project as we speak that hopefully we will be able to reveal to the world in a month or two. Jim's a founder and president of DeBetter Enterprises, which assists clients with product development. He negotiates licensing deals and he raises money for new companies. He specializes in finding factories to produce product, creating pricing strategies. Now, pricing strategies are really critically important. People, too many people say it costs me a dollar to make, so I'll sell it for a dollar twenty, and they think they're making a twenty percent margin. It don't work like that. Um, he does marketing and public relations and sells products to major retailers such as Target, Walmart, Best Buy, Costco, Bed Bath & Beyond and a whole truckload more. Jim's latest book, The Business of Inventing, is a bestseller in the invention industry and has helped thousands of budding inventors to understand the world of consumer products and how to bring them on the market. I'm glad I've got this guy on my side. This guy is Good. Jim, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Well, that, that was quite the intro. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. I only work with the best, mate. So, what's the biggest obstacle to aspiring business owners and entrepreneurs? when Let's assume they've already got a product. What's, what's the biggest challenge that they face at that point? You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's so hard to sometimes boil it down to one thing, but I do see a lot of commonalities and, you know, with inventors who are in their own right entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is managing expectations. I think that because inventing is such a personal uh, endeavor where you come up with an idea because it solves a problem for yourself or maybe you see an issue out there with something and you want to improve upon it or maybe you just have an idea for something that you think is exciting. What tends to happen is that inventors get very emotionally attached to what they're doing. Yeah. And that's fine because you certainly want to have uh, some kind of a connection and certainly passion uh, to help you through uh, the early times when uh, money's not coming in and, and a lot of money's going out, of course. Yeah. But what happens is that a lot of inventors tend to think that 
within a year or even within two years that their product's going to be on the market, they're going to be making millions, and then it's off to the races for them. But in reality, um, <laughs> understanding that it, it can take many years, it could take five or ten years, and it could be a huge struggle, uh, and along the way there are successes, but managing expectations um, is, is tremendous. And that, like you said, having a mentor or somebody that's outside of your very deep inner circle of, of family or even friends that are afraid to tell you no uh, and who are trying to please you, um, finding a mentor that will guide you along and say, look, you've got to separate the emotional aspect from the business aspect, understand the realities of what's going on here. And if you can help somebody manage their expectations, they're much more apt to do well in their business versus, you know, sort of crashing and burning after realizing pretty early on that, um, you know, with rare exception, uh, most products are not going to come out of the gate and, and, and make somebody a millionaire overnight. I've got a very good friend who is one of the biggest VCs in the United States with truckloads of money in things like Skype and Tesla and all those things. And, uh, he says the first thing that puts him off is when an inventor or an entrepreneur walks into his office and says, I have got the next billion dollar idea. He says he's not even going to talk to them. You know, they're they're living in this fantasy world and and they're never going to come down to earth. Yeah, it's tough to, and that's the managing expectation part. I do get concerned when people I mean, look, people say it tongue-in-cheek sometimes. They say, look, Jim, I've got the next, you know, gazillion-dollar idea. And look, it, you know, they, they know, most of them in their heart, that, you know, they're, they're being enthusiastic, and, and you want that. But there are people who will say, you know, they'll send me a business plan, and it will have financials that reflect <laughs> the billion-dollar revenue. And I say, listen, I, I would love more than anything to be a part of or even to watch somebody achieve that. I mean, it, you know, it can happen, and, and very occasionally yep. there are people who get very wealthy off of ideas. But if, if you're basing your whole business and premise and you're investing in it, thinking that there's no other outcome for you, you know, that's a, that's a risky thing. And I, and I tell people, I'm like, listen, I'm not comfortable with this. If you really, truly think that it's just going to project this way and, and there's going to be no speed bumps or hiccups or, or even, you know, total colossal caverns along the way, um, you know, I tend to shy away because I understand that I'm not going to change their mindset. But for the most part, I think people um, can be managed. And, and, you know, especially if you're in an industry and you explain to them, look, I've been doing this for decades. I, here's what's likely to happen. And, yeah. you, you know, you take something from that. Yeah. I, uh, this is a great lesson for entrepreneurs. I had a guy bring a product to me um, and it was a great product. And I took it to a couple of um, potential buyers, big organizations. We spent a week talking to them. And at the end of the week, um, there was a board meeting and they turned around and they offered my guy $50 million for the idea right then, right there. He said, no, it wasn't enough. He is now working in a computer repair store. They just yeah. said, that's that's our top offer. You're saying no, you're out. So a great idea that could have made him 50 million bucks got him nothing. Yeah. Because that's a shame. Yeah, I mean, that's, he's just living in the fantasy right. world. That, that happens. I know. I mean, you know, 
even if it was five million, I mean, the average person can can live a very nice life off of that money, and you know, and their families, and yeah, people get a little bit, you know, greedy, I guess, and, and they yeah. want, they think that it's worth more, right? They they're just not up to up to speed on on the realities of it. But yeah, that's a shame. So, what are the biggest mistakes entrepreneurs make? I, I think one of the big ones is, you know, and I. I Entrepreneurs are like this, so everybody listening is definitely going to kind of understand what I'm about to say. But I think the big mistake is trying to think you can do everything on your own. Yeah, and I've learned that. Absolutely. Look, I'm, I'm, I, I know what I'm good at. I do. But I know what I'm not good at. And I think it's hard for people to, to really finally sit down and look themselves in the mirror and say, look, I'm not a finance guy or, or I'm not a sales guy or, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, whatever. And you know, most entrepreneurs, and, and they're sometimes forced to. I mean, a lot of times you, you come out sure. of the gate and you got to be the old, you know, chief cook and bottle washer. You know, you got to do everything yourself and, you know, and you, you dabble and, and you do enough to, to be dangerous and get things started. But really at the end of the day, as you start really getting into serious business, uh, I mean, look, if I need legal advice, I go to a lawyer. You know, yep. if I'm sick, I go to a doctor. If I need tax advice, I go to an accountant. I, I know a little bit about all those things, but I don't keep up with them. There's not enough time. I, I, I have to be proficient and good and, and continue to, to improve upon what I'm really good at and, and acknowledge and say, I hate to write that check, but I know if I hire this person to help me, it's going to be much better for me in the long run versus making all the mistakes on your own. And then after all the money's gone, you look at yourself or you look at people to, to help you and, and it's too late or you're out of money or too much time has passed. And that's a huge issue uh, for entrepreneurs. And again, we're, we're all afflicted with it. I think at some point or another, you know, especially if you're younger and you're starting out, you think you can do anything. And there are people who say, Oh, you got to No, don't, don't listen to people that say hire other people. Just go for it. You know, learn everything you can on your own. And I don't know. I think there's all way too many uh, expensive lessons of people taking that approach. And it doesn't mean you have to spend a fortune on everybody else and that you shouldn't try certain things, but there are just some things that you should focus on and there are some things you should delegate and collectively with the right people, you grow a business. Yeah. I found that one of the areas that um, entrepreneurs usually neglect is the legal side. You know, they might have a partner while they're developing the product but at some point down the line, things are going to go wrong and there's going to be disputes. And if you don't have all of your um, – of all of the uh, partnerships and the deals that you've done, if you don't have them properly vetted and, and structured by a lawyer, you can get yourself into dreadful trouble. And a lawyer doesn't have to cost you that much money. Go and knock on the door of your local lawyer and say, look, I'm a startup. I don't have much money. I'll give you what I can, but would you help me through and I'll, I'll stay with you? They'll generally help you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, you, you got to reach out. You got to, you know, it's okay to ask for help that way and yeah. to get the best price. And they understand good, good people, good service providers understand the startup world. And I think it's good to approach service providers that understand our world, that run their own businesses, because they'll, they'll be more, um, you know, agreeable to, to discounting or, or giving you their best for a little bit less because they, they've been where you are. Yeah. And, and, you know, the worst thing that can happen is they say no. 
That's the worst right. thing that can happen. So you just go and knock on the next door. Um, right. You mentioned before the the issue of of time. I mean, I know um, I'm run ragged with time, and I know you are too. Now, if you're and we're established, we've been around a long time. <laughs> so if you're a young entrepreneur. How do you how do you allocate your time? How do you stop yourself working twenty hours a day and living on chips and coke? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, try to tell that to somebody who's starting out, who's twenty, who yeah. who, who thinks the world is theirs. You know, I, I've learned over time that I've learned how to become more efficient with each hour, and I've certainly embraced technology. And you know, look, when I started back in the product business, I mean, internet really didn't exist. And, you know, you didn't have, you know, when you left the office, you couldn't do any work at home because you had no way to interact with the computer at home. So in a way, I hate to say it, it was, it was kind of good because it allowed you to disconnect <laughs> and you just had to kind of wait till the next morning till you got to the office. And, you know, and, and even though you wanted to, to advance things, it kind of forced you to do it. But at the same time, I think what, what goes on in terms of timing is I think you've got to, you know, look, and there are a lot of people who don't agree with this. I, you know, I, I, I'm on social media a lot like Facebook and, and sure. Twitter and all these, uh, all these, and you always see people posting about, Oh, like, go out and grind. You know, if you're not, you know, if you're not working at two in the morning, you're not successful. Or, you know, if you're, if you're out on a Friday night with your friends, then, you know, you're not a real entrepreneur. And I always shake my head at that stuff. I, I think that, you know, a lot of those people are, are people that are not successful. They, they just like to yell and scream about, you know, because they're, they're working on a Friday night means they're more successful. I think to me, it's what you do with the time you have. I mean, I'm very comfortable working many days, you know, just a six, seven, eight hour day, because I know that I don't have to get up. I don't drive to an office. I work from home. I don't spend, you know, that two to two and a half hours commuting. I don't go out and take hour and a half long lunches. I don't sit in meetings that don't pertain to me or help me grow or help me, uh, you know, contribute. I, I talk to some of my corporate friends. They laugh. They're like, we probably work maybe, you know, four or five good hours a day. Yeah. That's all they do because yeah. we've seen all the nonsense. So I'm like, well, look, by, by you know, lunchtime, I've already done what, you, what you've done. And, and yet that gives me the freedom to... To, to be with my family or, you know, just do whatever I like. Now that would, you know, that being said, you know, I, I feel like I'm always on the clock, but I love that. I don't have to punch a clock. So yeah. if I, one day I can get up and start working at seven thirty in the morning and I'm at it and I'm emailing and I'm calling and I'm busy. And maybe the next day I, I don't start till eight thirty, you know, because I just don't feel like getting going yet. And yet the next day, Maybe I stop at five or six o'clock or four o'clock, and but then you know I go back at seven at night and work for another hour or two or three, and you know it's it's having the freedom to be able to manage your time, but be disciplined enough to say here's what I have to do today or this is what I have to do this week. As long as I do that and I kind of meet my own goals for what I wanted to do, then I'm happy, and then everything else I want to do on top of that is gravy. But you know I think that people shouldn't put a set amount of time or have a, a set schedule to the minute all the time. I think you should allow yourself to be good when you're good, when you're not sharp, you know, take a, take a few minutes, stop what you're doing. And then over time you'll develop your own clock uh, and that, that allows you to, to be successful. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the great things is I learned from a study at Harvard that don't look at your emails within an hour of going to bed and don't look at your emails until an hour after you get up in the morning. Um, and 
just allow yourself that time to think. I get up in the morning, first thing I do, um, I quickly catch the news and then I jump into the spa and I sit in the spa for half an hour and think about what I have to do today, sort of put it in some sort of order. I make myself a list. I never get through the list, I might add, but (laughs) I make a list. And then the last thing I do at night is jump back in the spa and think again without all the distractions and it. And that's another reason why I think entrepreneurs should get out. They should mix with people. They should have a family life because it gives you a different perspective. You know, sitting, yeah. in, sitting in what's You're like right. a phone box working on the same thing all day, you forget what the real worlds are like about. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I agree. And I think, like you said, you, you do need time to think and reflect. And people think that's not work time. But, right, if you sit in the spa and you're thinking about what you've done or what you want to do, um, being a little disconnected from your phone or, or your computer for an hour or two. That's part of a work day. That's part of a good entrepreneur's work day anyway. Like you said, you're not just grinding away at a laptop, but you're you're plotting and planning and, and, and thinking about what, what you could do next. And that could be by far the most productive part of your day. You know, one, yeah, one good idea during that period can change. Because when you get into something and you're working on it, you're really focused on it, you tend to not think of options where when you're sitting there and, and doing nothing but thinking, you think, geez, why didn't I do that? That's another right way I could go about it. And usually it's good. Yeah. Now, you're obviously very talented at this because you do a whole bunch of, you know, I tend to work on three projects and that's it. Well, you seem to work on a whole bunch of projects, a whole bunch of businesses. You've got a whole heap of things going. How do you successfully manage all those things without getting them all screwed up together? Well, I'm not going to say I don't certainly have the opportunity to screw some things up. I think, uh, like you said, I I try to limit myself and here's the entrepreneur in me and a lot of people will, this will resonate with them. You know, every time I turn around, I see an opportunity in in something else, you know, that's, related or not related to my business. And, you know, if I see an opportunity within my world, I want to see if I can make a business out of it. And I think what I do is I, uh, you know, I, I focus like you on, on a few core things, um, uh, you know, in my world, but I definitely am constantly testing things. And sometimes I may just try a little hand in a little side business within the business. And I, you know, I'll, I'll play with it. I'll do a little research. I'll throw some stuff out there to clients. Hey, you know, I'm working on this. Is this a service you'd be interested in? And I kind of let people tell me, you know, if it's going to be something that's useful or not. And I found that some of the best things I've done have, have come from doing that. But, I, you know, I don't, I don't think, I, I think it's controlled chaos, Bob. I don't think I have a, <laughs> yeah. you know, a, I don't think, I don't think I have a good reign on exactly how to manage every second. But what I am able to do is, you know, I know like there were certain days where I've got to get certain things done for my core business and I, I just can't spend the time on, on other things. But, you know, like you said, a lot of times when you're sitting around, if you're, you're relaxing or, you know, you're, you're, you're spending that moment or minutes, hour or whatever, thinking about, hey, you know what, I did my work today and I got done what I wanted to and needed to. But, you know, hey, I had a thought for something. And then, you know, I get a piece of paper and a pen and I kind of, uh, you know, draw things out or write them out and, and kind of, you know, like I said, stop that process. So that's why that downtime is really good. But, I, you know, I, I think I'm just able to to focus on the, the things that I need to get done and I spend my other time thinking about the things that I'd like to do and then I kind of mix them all into the day 
in the week and, and over time I, I, I you know I feel like it's important to, to keep fresh and try new things within the business and because technology changes I'm always looking to yeah. how to use technology to, to further my business so yeah it's you know it's a mix there's no specific answer that, that works for everybody but I think you just have to be aware of your time and, and, and understand that you need to mix it up Having said that, I got out of the um, spa this morning and I walked into my wife and I said to her, do you ever feel that, you know, you're just not keeping up? You're just not doing all the stuff that, you you know, your brain tells you you should be doing? And she said, absolutely. Every day I think I'm just not doing enough. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I, you know, again, this is a mindset. I'm, look, I'm, I'm generally happy with what I do and what I accomplish. I mean, I think, here, yeah, let's go back to the managing expectations thing, right? The thing we yeah. talked about right yeah. at the very beginning. I think when people are realistic about what they can accomplish, they look, you know, somebody who's really successful or wants to be successful will always feel, I guess, a little bit disappointed that they didn't get this particular result. But in reality, for the average person, it's an amazing result. So I, I think I kind of just try to, you know, I really try to come down to earth. I don't say, all right, I want to start a new business and, you know, within six months, it's going to be doing you know, a million dollars. I say, okay, you know, I've been in business long enough. I'm going to start this business and in six months. It, maybe it's only going to do $20,000 and, you know, maybe I'm going to break even. But I can say that, honestly, I can say and look at something and say, I, this is going to take longer than I think. It's kind of like the contractor that comes to the house and says, oh, I'm going to redo your kitchen. It's going to take two weeks and it takes two months, right? <laughs> you know, things go wrong or things change or you get sidetracked or your, your primary business gets busier than you think. Or, you know, I just think you have to, you just have to kind of assess and be honest with yourself and say, what can I handle? How do I think I can get it done? Uh, I know that some days are going to be better than others and and I can't be too hard on myself. I have to just push and push, but, you know, give yourself a break and know that you're not going to build all these businesses and, and, and be a billionaire uh, in a day. There's only a handful of billionaires out there, so there's nothing wrong with being a thousandaire, as I say, or a millionaire. As long as you're happy, be happy with what you're doing, right? Just yeah. enjoy it. The money, the money comes if you do it and you and you focus in on it. And then, you know, you, you start looking to do other things that make you happy and, and turn those into businesses if you can. Yeah. I think the other thing that's important is only to do the things that you have to do. Um, you know, if you – it's amazing you get 50 emails in the morning and you think, God, I've got to try and address all those. And if you only get to three of them, somehow the other 47 just go away. <laughs> you know, yeah. There's, there's so You're much – right. That's it. So much stuff wash that away, we yeah. do that's not – important to making a buck now um another thing that i think you know be interested to get your take on i once had a um a guy that i was marketing director for and he was involved in a whole bunch of businesses and he used to say every day at five o'clock or five thirty, whatever time we knocked off write down all the things you did today that made us a buck and it's amazing yeah, yeah. how many days you sit there and you've been working your tail off all day and you sit there at 5.30 and you go, geez, I really didn't do anything today that made a buck. Yeah. You tend That's, to do uh, a lot of work that doesn't, reality, yeah. it doesn't produce any money. Yeah, it's, you got to look at yourself, like you said, and... That's that you know that could be tough on people to really like you said face that question. Did I 
did I make money today or did I set myself up to, you know, to make money? And, you know, like you said, it's, sometimes it's not always a fair thing. True. You know, like I said, I, do I make money every single day in that regard, like new fresh? No, but I mean, a lot of times what you're doing is you're working on projects and things that will provide a lot of fruit down the road. And, you know, companies get that. The good companies understand they invest in, in talent and, and they know that, you know, they're, they're building something for the long term. And that's, that's good. And I think good management recognizes that and not, and tries not to hammer out, you know, you need to do this every five minutes. And if you don't do it, you're not worth anything. I think that's, um, you, know, you see that in corporate America. Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm not in that world because wow. I know that I'm, dis- I'm disciplined enough to do it myself and understand what needs to be done. And, and I just do it. It'd drive you nuts, wouldn't it? Working in corporate America, working in corporate anywhere. Um, most entrepreneurs, their one weekly must-watch television show is probably Shark Tank. Um, so what was it like to work with the Sharks from Shark Tank? I know you work very closely with Kevin Harrington in particular. So what was it like? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was certainly interesting. I mean, I think the, the, the biggest thing about it was, you know, when I started working with Kevin, Shark Tank was just starting. In fact, I don't think it had aired yet. And, you know, I was working with Kevin on developing his, um, his TV goods business uh, down there in Florida. And it was really a kind of a haven for, for inventors to come and, and learn the process of inventing and, and to get help. And of course, Kevin's in the infomercial world. So he was able to provide them with uh, developing and, and airing infomercials. But, you know, Kevin said, to, I remember he said to me, he goes, Jimmy, I'm, I'm on this new show. It's called Shark Tank. And I don't know how it's going to do. And, of course, now you know it's a, it's a huge phenomenon, a big hit. Yeah. But to to see how this show works, to see how you know contestants get chosen, to see you know after they get off the show, you know what happens to the deals that are made. You know, do they really consummate? Do, do, do people really get the funding? And then, of course, there are people like me that were taking those products and placing them at retail. So you know, you, you, the shocks. You learn that the shocks. They're definitely money people. There's no question. And a lot of them can be mentors and get involved and get their hands dirty a little. But there's a lot of other people that are involved on the back end that, that make that product go, so to speak. Uh, you know, the sharks, they have their own business. They can't spend, sure. you know, all day long with, with any one particular person. So I, I learned that. But it was interesting to see, you know, and, and meet the people that were on the show. And, and they, you know, these are they're entrepreneurs. They, they've got ideas. They've developed them. They, they were looking for help, whether it was yep. for money or talent. And it, it was great to be kind of, you know, behind the scenes and, you know, beneath the ropes there to see and meet the people that are on it and, and how these deals get done. And I can only say this, that reality TV isn't always as real as you think it is. No, I was and, just about to you know, say exactly uh, that. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little different. A lot of those deals that happen on TV don't get done. Yeah. You know, the lawyers get a hold of things, and you know, they, they you know, it, it's TV. It's got to look good. It's got to be entertaining. But off, off camera, you know, things change often. So I always tell people, look, get on Shark Tank first for your 15 minutes of fame. If, if anything, even if you don't get a deal, you're gonna, your business should increase just by the exposure you get, yeah. and milk it as much as you can because it, it is national, you know, syndicated TV. But, you know, and, and then if you can get a deal, you get a deal. But, you know, sometimes be careful what you wish for because the deals you sure. do, you know, may not be comfortable. You may be giving up a lot. Um, so that, but that's for everybody to judge on their own, you know. Yeah, I, I, I often watch Shark Tech and think, 
gee, I wish the real world was like this, you know. And and yeah. I know I know, I know at the other end, I know how many deals don't get done, and I know how many deals are done for a much worse deal than what you actually see on television. And uh, you know, if only the real world was sort of an honest version of that, it'd be terrific. <laughs> Yeah, well, absolutely. I agree, hundred percent. So that's funny. You've got multiple income streams. You've got you've got money pouring in from everywhere to keep these Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and Bentley convertibles yeah. on the road. Why, <laughs> why are multiple in- income streams so important for long term success? You know, I think it's the old saying: you know, don't put your eggs all your eggs in one basket. Um, you know, years ago, I, I got my start by being in one business in the, in the sport optics industry, the, the binocular and, and telescope business. And, and because of that, um, you know, it, it allowed me to further branch out uh, and go on my own. And, and, you know, in that regard to, to helping other people instead of running my own specific product company. Um, I think that, you know, because you can't count on one thing, or if you have a business that the, the world changes, you know, I use an example of a VCR, right? Like if I'm in the, if I was in the VCR business and I was still in the VCR business, I, I wouldn't be in business, right? Because yeah, sure. we've gone from, from, so, you know, things evolve and today. They change so quick because of technology. I mean, look, I mean, like I get an iPhone, like it feels like every six months because they, they create software and it doesn't even work on the old model. <laughs> That's the speed of the world. And our kids are growing up to, to demand instant gratification for everything. And, but you know, things are, are you know, there's fads and, and, you know, fashion and, and things just change so quickly and what people have no attention span. So what they're excited about today, a month from now, you know, it's like this whole Pokemon go thing that's going on and kids are running around and adults running around, you know, chasing Pokemon's around. And yet, but you know, in, in another few weeks, it's going to be over and then it's going to be something else and then something else. And so I, you know, I use those as examples as a cue for me to say, Jim, you should be in three things or five things or seven things, even if I'm in, you know, investing in something or partnering with somebody on something and I don't spend much time in it. I know that, you know, not all of them are going to succeed. So I, I play, it's a numbers game. I go, if I'm in five businesses a year, two or three are going to do well. One or two probably won't, but I'm going to do better than, than not because I'm, I'm involved. But if I hang my hat on one thing and it bombs, I'm dead in the water. Of course, if it does well, I, I, I'm doing great. But I think that a good lesson for entrepreneurs is that, but here's the thing that, that goes wrong. A lot of entrepreneurs try to do 20 things at the same time. My whole thing is when you're starting out, pick one thing, get it going first, get it established, get it comfortable where you can delegate or it can kind of run a little bit more on its own and only then start picking at something else and then something else. I think that's the curse of the entrepreneur. They try to do everything at once. They focus on nothing and then everything fails instead of getting established and, and then creating other revenue streams for them. Even if it's not what they traditionally do, sometimes just getting involved in another type of business that spins off a few dollars can help you. Jim, thank you very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Now, if you've got a product or even an idea scribbled on a napkin and you want to develop the product, you want to um, create a marketing and a, a, a business strategy, you want to get it out into the marketplace, you want to negotiate licensing deals or anything to do with being successful as an entrepreneur, go to Jim DeBetter. That's J-I-M-D-E-B-E-T-T-A dot com. 
and uh, get in touch with him. He's a great guy, and as I said earlier, I'm working with him on a project, and, uh, you know, I've got a choice of pretty much anybody, and uh, Jim's the guy. So I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking business radio show on voice america business channel and we are the number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs and this week broadcasting from my bolt hole in sydney australia overlooking beautiful sydney harbour now with the incredible changes taking place in communication today and the influence of social media what are the keys to successfully communicating and selling stuff today you know in the 1920s match media largely consisted of newspapers, radio was just starting to uh, become important and uh, a new style of advertising was born where people, instead of listing product specifications and qualities, they stressed the benefits in terms of lifestyle improvement. Um, Consumers made decisions emotionally, companies emphasised USPs, customer service was important. Well, Advanced to 2017, and while we kid ourselves that we're somehow much more sophisticated and enlightened today, and the age of social media means we need to sell stuff in a totally different way, in reality, absolutely nothing has really changed. Nothing's changed. Certainly, newspapers are dead, radio's changed dramatically, and the most effective marketing medium is social and digital media. But the structure of effective of an effective marketing message to incentivize people to buy is the same as it's been for a hundred years. I was recently really surprised when I gave a presentation to a room full of technology CEOs and CMOs, and I began to speak about the critical keys in the marketing of any sales message. I emphasized things that are second nature to me. Firstly, no one buys the product, they buy the personal emotional benefit coming from the product and uh, the fact that it's been shown by stacks of research that all decisions, no matter what they are, are made emotionally and then justified pragmatically, all these CEOs and CMOs were dumbfounded. I was peppered with questions during the presentation And when I left the stage and people were asking me about the need for emotion, CPBs, wow, touch points, etc. in their marketing message. The surprising view of a majority of attendees prior to the presentation was that they promote the product in a well-integrated campaign across all social and digital media and hope to hell it'll take off. Now, this is the same misguided logic that 20 years ago was used when they said that if you bombard consumers with a million ads, your product will sell. Well, guess what, folks? The annals of marketing history is littered with well-promoted corporate corpses. 
Now, there are a number of elements that must be included in any marketing or sales strategy, irrespective of the communication vehicles involved. It doesn't matter whether it's emails or whether it's newspapers or whether it's television or whether it's social media, you need to know the same keys. And the first key is to know what business you're in. And the majority of businesses think what they do is the business they're in. And for example, hardware stores are not in the hardware business, they're in the problem-solving business. You don't you know, you go to a hardware store because you want to solve a problem. And that's a totally different message. It's got to be communicated in a totally different way. You've got to fully understand your customer geographically, demographically, psychographically, behavioral, and product related. You've got to understand all of those things. Thirdly, you've got to clearly differentiate yourself from your competitors. Now, that difference can be real or it can be perceived, but it must give a clear choice to the customer. You've got to have a strong consumer purchasing benefit. This is your differential converted into an emotional trigger. And that's really important. Hard to determine, but very important. Fifth, you've got to turn all product features into emotional benefits. All marketing message focus must be on the customer, not on the product. You've got to remember that product features do not sell, only benefits sell. You need to give outrageous service at every consumer, company, product touch point. Ninth, your message must be online, whether online, must be in line, whether it's online or offline. You must be a good society, employee and consumer citizen. You've got to add value to every transaction. You've got to reverse the risk. Now, all of those things are critical, and there's a few more as well, for marketers to be able to sell their product today. But um, too many people who call themselves marketers, not only in startups and early stage businesses, but across the business platform, do not understand the critical fundamentals of consumer psychology and motivating triggers. And this is to their company's peril. And all remember that, always remember that in communication, the most important thing to remember is hearing what isn't said. Now, don't forget, stop what you're doing. If you want to stop leaving money on the table when you do deals, you need to set your prices right. Go to Atenga, A-T-E-N-G-A.com, and, then down, and download the free ebook called Seven Easy Steps to Successfully Increase Prices. It's a quick read. And it might be the most profitable thing that you do all day. Now, I invite you to go to my website, bobpritchard.com, and enroll for my daily newsletter. It takes just 30 seconds to read. In fact, I just got an email a couple of seconds ago from Canada with a list of people that um, somebody who gets the newsletter right now is asking for it to be sent on to these people. So that's fantastic. Thank you. Now, remember... If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Next week, we'll be broadcasting from Bangkok, where a company I am involved with is installing thousands of retail beacons, and I hope you can join me again. In the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. 
Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.